Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. I'm Josh Papachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the news roundup for the week ending August 27th, 2021. We're coming to the end of August, and it sure feels like the end of August. It's been a hot and humid week, highs in the 90s, and we are awaiting thunderstorms that will hopefully break some of that heat. Of course, school is back in session for some, and for the majority of students in the area, the first day of school will be this coming Monday, August 30th. Among them are the students of the Southern Lehigh School District, and they will be wearing masks when they return to classes on Monday per a decision that was made by the Southern Lehigh School Board at their meeting this past Monday. The meeting was held online on Zoom. I'm still not entirely clear why it was only online because it was originally advertised that it would be held in the high school cafeteria. And I actually went to the school thinking it was in the cafeteria and nobody was there, obviously. So it was held on Zoom and more than 700 people attended the meeting online. Dozens of them spoke passionately at times about the masking issue, which obviously has become highly politicized, uh, not just here in the Lehigh Valley, but all across the country. The majority of speakers urged the board to at least mandate the use of masks by teachers, students, and staff for the near future. And by near future, I mean until the end of September. The board ultimately approved an updated health and safety plan that requires masking until September 27th, which is when their second meeting in September will be held. At that time, they will have the opportunity to reevaluate and reauthorize the masking if they feel that is necessary based on the conditions out in the community, specifically the level of transmission that is occurring. Right now, The level of transmission in both Lehigh and Northampton counties is high. And that's not just somebody saying that, that's according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, as well as other sources. We're seeing daily new case increases and totals that we haven't seen for months. I believe the the daily case totals now are roughly equivalent to what we were seeing in late April and early May. And obviously with kids going back into school, into the classroom, that's not a good place to be statistically. So uh, certainly I think that the board acted prudently. There were at least half dozen doctors that spoke on this call and the majority of them urged the board to implement a mask mandate these people were not just speaking as doctors, they were speaking as parents and residents of the district. But of course, their medical knowledge informed 
their decision to speak and and their views. Uh, many of them provided data. They were also, in many cases, signatories to a letter to the board that was posted on change.org, which includes citations from the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and so on and so on. I've heard many times opponents of masking say, well, show us the data. Where's the data? They're not giving us any data. The data is there. That's the convenient type of red herring line that, that I hear being used, that there is no data being provided by supporters of masking. Many studies have been done in the last year and a half, and I have read some of them, and they support the idea that a mask is better than no protection at all because COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. A respiratory virus is transmitted by the particles in the air that are expelled when we breathe and even more so when we talk, when we sing, when we shout. Speaking is a huge source of aerosol transmission. And when you're wearing a mask, it's covering your mouth and it should be covering your nose as well, but it's more important at that point that it's covering your mouth because the aerosols that come out of your mouth when you're speaking can be propelled even further than what comes out of your mouth when you're breathing. And there's a whole subcategory of research into this involving different languages and you know which languages are worse for aerosol spread. I've seen video demonstrations of English versus Japanese and Japanese because of the way it's spoken does not produce as many aerosols compared to English rather. I'm sure there are languages that produce many more than English does. But the point is, regardless of what language you're speaking, you're going to be safer wearing a mask than not. And I'm happy to provide sources, source data for these facts, as I'm sure all of the doctors are. The school board voted eight to one to approve the health and safety plan that requires masks until the end of September. One no vote came from board member William Lysette, who said he was not sure that the board had the authority to implement a mask mandate. And I'm not really sure why he thought that. The governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf, has left it to the discretion of individual school districts to implement their own health and safety measures to prevent the spread of COVID. He has not imposed another mask mandate, although this week he spoke to the legislature and indicated that he would support a universal mask mandate in schools. Of course, the Republican-controlled legislature is not interested in taking up that issue. And for that matter, Governor Wolf, in my opinion, should stick to his original stated course of action, which is not to take any action. And, you know, it's the constant changing and backtracking that erodes public trust, and it does harm politicians as well, who are trying to make decisions in the interest of public safety. I think he should know that by now, but that's another matter. It is in the hands of the school boards at this point to protect the safety, not only of the people that are in their buildings, but the entire community. Because the reality is that students go home to their parents, 
they spend time with their grandparents. In some cases, they may live with their grandparents because multi-generational households are more common. Thankfully, the vast majority of senior citizens have been vaccinated against COVID-19, but that still does not guarantee that they won't get COVID-19 because of the number of breakthrough cases that we're seeing. And that is because of the rise of the Delta variant. So the cause and effect in this situation really isn't that complicated. And most of the arguments against the mask mandate come down to, you can't tell me what to do with my child. That's another one I don't understand because the government already tells you what to do with your child. The government tells you that your child has to be in a child safety seat when you're in a car, not just in a car on a public road, in a car anywhere, your child has to be in a child safety seat. And that's a case where, where if somebody is hurt, it's only gonna be your child. If your child has COVID, your child could be sick and your child could make other people very sick and they could even die. So this is a more dire situation than one child not being in a child safety seat. As sad as that is to say, but it's the truth. The argument about governments not being able to tell parents what to do with their children, especially when their children are attending public schools, makes no sense. Children already have to have a cornucopia of vaccinations just to enroll in kindergarten. Everybody knows that. And the COVID vaccination, the COVID vaccine rather, at least the Pfizer version of it, received regular FDA approval this week. So the holdouts can't use the excuse anymore that it's experimental, it only has emergency approval. That's not the case anymore. But of course, there will be other excuses. There are other excuses all the time. The other issue is, you know, public education, yes, it's a guaranteed right, but people who feel strongly about not having their children vaccinated in many cases, homeschool their children. I'm not saying that parents who are anti-mask should necessarily do that, but if it's the minority and it's the, the safety of the majority that's threatened, that seems to me a logical compromise, perhaps. Some of the parents who spoke at the Southern Lee High School Board meeting said that they were disappointed that mandatory masking was even being considered because they felt the compromise solution, the middle ground, was optional masking. I guess I can understand why they would want to see it that way, but in reality, optional masking isn't really a middle ground. It really sort of has to be one or the other in this case, I would say, especially because kids are involved and they're not of age to make their own decisions. So. It's the government's responsibility to solve problems collectively that individuals can't solve on their own. Clearly, we are so dysfunctional as a society at this point that, that we can't solve this problem on our own. And it's frankly somewhat reassuring to see a school board step up and make the difficult decision. Will some of them pay a price politically for this decision? It's possible. Only one of the current of the nine members of the board is up for election in November. Rather, one incumbent is among the candidates running for 
Southern Lee High School Board. And there are a lot of candidates, a lot of challengers uh, running for that board. So we will be, of course, following the election this fall and reaching out to all of the candidates to discuss their views, not only about COVID-19 and masking, but about many other issues of import in the school district, including the controversy regarding former superintendent Kathleen Evison, who we wrote about recently. She uh, resigned from the district over the summer and returned to England. After that, it came out that in some emails with a consultant for diversity, equity, and inclusion training, she may have engaged in what was called an improper quid pro quo. So the school district and the school board has launched an investigation into that matter. There is a new superintendent coming into the district. There will be new principals, of course, athletics. There are many, many issues facing Southern Lehigh, and many of the same issues are facing Saucon Valley, and we'll be covering that school board race as well. Speaking of Saucon Valley, Friday we were the first to report a significant news story out of the district. Superintendent Dr. Craig Butler, who has been superintendent of Saucon Valley Schools for approximately four years, announced his retirement on Friday. He will be retiring effective October 14th. The statement was not written by Dr. Butler was apparently written by the school board or somebody else from within the district and did not directly identify the reasons for his retirement at this particular time. He has been a career educator and worked in various school districts for the past 42 years, but normally superintendents resign either at the end of a contract or at the end of a school year. The timing is unusual because, obviously, the new school year just began days ago. It's not normally when you would submit your letter of resignation or, you know, letter of retirement. So we certainly wish Dr. Butler all the best and hope he will enjoy his retirement. And we will be following the process, uh, the hiring process for the new superintendent, which will begin shortly, I would imagine. Saucon Valley has had some turnover in terms of superintendents in recent years. The former superintendent, Monica McHale Small, was only in that position for three or four years. It was not more than four. Before Monica McHale Small, the superintendent was Dr. Sandra Fallon, and she was superintendent, I believe, for about 11 years. So that was a longer tenure. And she was superintendent when I first began covering Saucon Valley Schools in 2006. So I think she had just begun a couple of years before that. In other news, this is related to a school, but not locally per se. A Hellertown student who attends Millersville University, which is in south central Pennsylvania, has been reported missing. Matthew Mindler was last seen on Tuesday evening on the campus of Millersville. He attended class on Monday and Tuesday, but did not attend his classes Wednesday and Thursday. He is a freshman at Millersville, and so he just began there. He just enrolled. He is 20 years old, 
our story has a description of him as well as two photos of him. One is a surveillance image that the university has circulated to help uh, locate him. There was no indication from the university's post that he is endangered in any way. And uh, as far as we know, he simply, you know, chose to be missing. But there isn't very much information about this case at this point. The university police are investigating it. And it has been picked up by even national news media because Matthew Mindler was a child actor who appeared in at least one major Hollywood film about 10 years ago. And so I did see a story about his disappearance on TMZ, of all places. Not every day that a Hellertown resident ends up the subject of a TMZ story. Unfortunately, we wish it was under different circumstances, of course. We hope that Matthew uh, is safe wherever he is. And if he's aware of the situation and the fact that people are frantically searching for him, I certainly hope he'll come forward and let them know that he's okay. Of course, we will be following that story closely and we'll update it as soon as we have more information. Finally, we have photos on the site from a fun event that was held this week at the giant parking lot on Route 412 in Hellertown. Lower Stockton Fire Rescue hosted a touch a truck recruitment event. It was also an opportunity for little ones to get up close to the big shiny trucks sit in the driver's seat and meet some local heroes of the volunteer firefighters of Lower Stockton Fire Rescue. It was a warm evening, but many people came out, many families, and they host these events about four times a year to stay abreast of all they have going on. I would definitely recommend following them on Facebook. They share their events over there. And you can also find more information about volunteering with the fire department on their website, uh, lowersockandfire.org. That's our news roundup for this week. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great week. Hey, Panther fans, crunch time. Reef here to give you a little scouting report on the Panthers' opener against the Notre Dame Crusaders. Salkin Valley will square off against Notre Dame to kick off the 2021 high school football season. Montford E. Illich Stadium in Hellertown will surely be rocking for what is to be a hard-nosed and hotly contested competition. The Panthers played well in their scrimmage against Allen at J. Bernie Crumb Stadium Saturday morning. Dante Mahaffey was impressive, throwing 10 of 15, 200 yards, and a touchdown pass. He also scrambled for a 40-yard touchdown. Mahaffey's playing leadership will be key Friday night with a talented opponent rolling into town. So let me tell you something about the Notre Dame Green Pond Crusaders. The Panthers and Crusaders did not play last year to COVID issues. Notre Dame tallied a 7-1 record and were District 11 Class 3 runners-up. They are part of the Colonial School Kill merger, the league. They are in the Red Division, and again, they are a Class 3A team, a little bit smaller than Saucon Valley. The Crusaders did lose a little bit on offense. Actually, they lost a lot. Running back Matt Froon, 1,313 yards, 24 touchdowns, averaging 8.5 yards per carrier. Matt Froon was a player. Wide receiver Izzy Rodriguez is gone from the Crusader lineup. He had 30 catches last year for 550 yards. That was good for six TDs. On the offensive line, they lose two big bodies. Lex Rivera, 270 pounds, is gone to graduation, as is Brandon Guffey. He's not 270, 
but he's certainly not small at 235. Even though Notre Dame lost some big names, ND is a spread gun slinging offense, and they have some of that firepower returning. Starting with number seven, he's going to be a senior. Quarterback, Colin Quintano, 6'3", 200. Check out these numbers. 119 completions, 194 attempts, 61% for 1,859 yards, 18 passing touchdowns, only two interceptions. Number three, wide receiver, Nadir Sanders. He's a senior also. He's listed at 6'2", 175, and this guy is so fast he can actually fly. 26 receptions, 363 yards, five TDs last year. Watch out for number three. Senior offensive lineman Josh Hoffert's back. He's at 270 pounders at six foot tall. Big body blocking for Quintano. On paper, number 21, running back Logan Castellana appears to be a tough tackle. He's listed at 6'2", 220. That is one big running back. Rumor has it Castellano was on the line last year, but it looks as if, even though he didn't play in the scrimmage, it looks as if they want to get him some reps at running back. Again, 6'2", 220, that is a big body. Number 11, senior wide receiver Gavin Gibbs is back, 5'11", 175. He's a shorthanded kid. He could present some problems for the Panther defense. Talking about the Panther defense, defensive coordinator, Coach Araldi is going to have his guys prepared and ready to roll. On defense, Coach Araldi is going to lean on junior Ty Fizzenmare and freshman Jared Roan to be all over the field from their linebacker spots. Roan was fantastic in Allen's scrimmage. He did not play like a freshman. He's a hard-nosed kid that flies. Fizzenmare is on his way to being a three-year starter at middle linebacker and is, an at, is averaging nine tackles per game from his middle linebacker spot. Panthers will also game plan to get senior defensive ends Michael Cordes and Cale Markle to bring the pressure against Quintano. Number 80, Cordes, very athletic, 6'2", 200. Number 44, Cale Markle, is a little smaller and a newcomer to high school football, but makes up for his lack of size with a quick first step and all-out relentless effort. Expect these two to hurry Quintano's decision-making. Coach Trembler mentioned in an earlier interview that juniors Travis Riefenstahl and Alex Magnata were ball hawks over the summer. And the way that Notre Dame throws the ball around, a few picks will greatly help the Panther cause. Hopefully they're on their game. So the Crusader defense against the Panther offense. What are we going to look at? Defensive end, William Jordan, was lost to graduation, as were linebackers Jake Hall and Joey Rivitsu from a season ago. That's 109 tackles leaving the Crusaders between the three of them from last season. Crusaders do have some notable defensive starters returning. Number 29, senior linebacker Ethan O'Neill, 6'1", 215, 42 tackles last year. Number 21, we mentioned before, Logan Castellano. He's a senior. He plays defensive end also. He had 32 tackles last year. There are some key newcomers, including number 51, junior offensive lineman, defensive lineman, Aiden Compton, 6'1", 270. He'll be tough to miss out on the field. He's a big boy. The name may sound familiar to Lehigh Valley sports fans. He's a standout wrestler who was in the Crusader lineup last wrestling season. Compton transferred in. He started his wrestling season, excuse me, wrestling and football career at Pinardjo. No doubt a big loss for the Green Knights. The Crusaders got themselves a quality player from the Slate Belt area. Now the Panther offense. Again, like we said before, led by number 12, senior Dante Mahaffey. 6'1", a solid 215. 2,215 career yards throwing with 25 touchdowns. Last season, only five games. The COVID season, 51 of 91, 828 yards. Nine TDs to two interceptions. Pretty good ratio there. Panthers feel good with their skilled players. Alex Magnata, Ty Sensitz are big play wide receivers. 
Number three, Magnato Jr. is a sizable target at 6'3", 195 with great hands. Number 11, senior Ty Sensitz may have even better hands and measures a rock-solid 5'10", 180. Number 17, E.T. Aris, and number four, Braden Weiss are reliable receivers as well. Aris is a senior, Weiss a sophomore. Freshman Jack Robertson was the talk of the town after the Allen scrimmage. He put up some very impressive numbers in the scrimmage, grabbing four catches for 99 yards, two touchdowns. Robertson did play like an upperclassman. He is only a freshman. In the backfield, the Panthers have four capable running backs and senior Damian Garcia, juniors Josh Torres and Ty Fizemare, and also freshman Jared Rohn. It's a little bit of a revolving door right now in the backfield with some injuries going on, but Salkin does have depth to spare in the backfield. Garcia is a 1,000-yard rusher as a sophomore. He averages, for a career, 7.9 yards per carry. He can be explosive. Fizz and Marin Roan are punishing runners. Torres is a little bit of Greyhound, a little bit of Pitbull. He's a hybrid. Now, the weather forecast for Friday night at this point is looking pretty good. Friday's high is 90, but it looks like a cool breeze will make for a great night of football. There's a chance of showers, but at this point it looks like they will be overnight. Come on out and enjoy the game. It really doesn't get much better than this as far as opening night is concerned. Notre Dame is certainly one of the more high-profile teams and are uh, popular throughout the area. This is a great opportunity for the Panthers to make a statement with what kind of team they have this year. Friday night is going to be a fight. Good luck, Panthers. The source is with you. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, I'm thrilled to be speaking with somebody who's very involved and invested in supporting our local agricultural community here in the Lehigh Valley. That is Ellen Underwood. She is the marketing and outreach coordinator for Buy Fresh, Buy Local of the Greater Lehigh Valley. Thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. I've been a big fan of Buy Fresh, Buy Local for years now, certainly, and the great work that you do specifically with local farmers markets. I think that's sort of how I first became aware of Buy Fresh, Buy Local, but -hmm. I know you do a lot more than that. So I was hoping you could, of course, explain that, but start off by telling our, our listeners what Buy Fresh, Buy Local is. They've probably heard the name, but they might not understand fully what the organization does. Yeah, so Buy Fresh, Buy Local, so we are one of the chapters of Buy Fresh, Buy Local. So there's chapters all over the country, and essentially the main goal is to build and support local food economies. And if you look at, you know, with grocery stores and, you know, big agribusiness and food producers, they're spending billions of dollars on on marketing, you know, for these industrially produced foods. So essentially Buy Fresh by Local's role is to, you know, help bring local producers, farmers, farmers markets, restaurants, really anyone growing, creating or selling local foods together and then be able to promote them on, on more of a collective platform so that consumers can actually know where local food providers are and and connect with them more easily. So that's kind of the main goal. And here at Buy Fresh by Local of the Greater Lehigh Valley, we're a really active chapter and we kind of support the local food economy in many different ways. Yeah, so at Buy Fresh by Local of the Greater Lehigh Valley, we, we partner with over 100 farmers, markets, different retail outlets, restaurants, institutions, essentially to yeah bring everybody together and we do local food marketing campaigns throughout the year so you know in december we'll put together a holiday gift guide in february we'll promote csa signups and in the summer right now we will feature you know all the amazing local food items that are available and really introduce people to the markets and stores and farmers that are, are bringing local foods to the lehigh valley Some other aspects of what we do too, we do local food access programming to ensure local foods are available to everyone in the Lehigh Valley. And we also promote agritourism, which is, you know, on-farm activities like pick your own and fall festivals, corn mazes and pumpkin picking. And additionally, we we like to help support our producers and, and really look at what's going on in our local food economy. Um, so we'll do research on things like value-added products, help develop wholesale infrastructure so more local foods can, you know, be brought into restaurants and institutions. So you really look at all the different sides of the local food economy and what it needs with our, our main focus really being on connecting consumers with local foods. That's great. And that's certainly a lot of logistical and other type work. In terms of the organizations that you partner with, does that partnership extend to like marketing that you do on behalf of those organizations or funding them, like providing additional funding to help support whatever their mission is? Yeah. So um, most of the places we partner with, you know, are our local farmers and we also partner with all of the producer only farmers markets in the Valley. So when we say producer only, that means that only the farmers and their employees, or producers 
are the ones selling, you know, so they're not buying in different produce from all over the country and reselling it like you see in a lot of public markets. It's the real farmers and the real producers at those markets. And in the Lehigh Valley, all of them are outside and there's 10 of them. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can find local foods all the time at these markets. And so with that, we have a grant to do general local food marketing so that, you know, to make local foods more visible. And we provide the farmers markets with some funding to promote themselves. So that has been a really exciting project to work on and, you know, helps make local foods a lot more visible. Additionally, we, we like to feature all of our different partners through our social media channels and through the different, you know, kind of educational materials and guides that we do so that everybody kind of, you know, gets some visibility. Right. And I and I feel like I have to name drop Saucon Valley Farmers Market here. Since that's... Uh, de- definitely. <laughs> yes. That our... is a fantastic market. <laughs> yes. Well, they all are, of course, but that's sort of our in our neck of the woods and I've been covering Saucon Valley Farmers Market actually since day one when they first opened in I think it was 2006 so and it's grown so much since then Mm -hmm. I'm sure in part due to wonderful support they've gotten from Buy Fresh Buy Local. It really is important to know as a consumer that the produce you're getting is local and that was sort of brought home to me. I was watching a documentary, I think it was in Canada, where they were undercover at different farmers markets that were claiming to have local produce, but it turned out it was from even other countries. So it's certainly, you know, not something to to take for granted, you know, that we have that that access. And that's a big part of what you do to promote, you know, the accessibility, because we are in a situation now where traditional you know food stores are they sort of migrated out of the urban centers in the lehigh valley and and elsewhere leaving what you know what are known as food deserts behind and access to fresh produce is limited that's one of the defining characteristics of those those places is there anything specific that you're doing to like target those population centers and and try and help those people have better access to fresh local food yeah and i think definitely with everything that's been happening lately with the pandemic you know food security is is a really important issue so our chapter we run a program called the lehigh valley fresh food bucks so this is available to people using snap benefits also known as food stamps So there's a number of participating locations. There's farmers markets, farm stores, as well as corner stores in the Lehigh Valley. And those corner stores are where we're really able to, you know, help improve the areas where people can buy local produce. There's also another program called the Kellen Foundation, and they do a mobile market. So both the mobile market and the corner stores help increase the amount of fresh local produce that is available in in communities that are defined as food deserts. And so our Fresh Food Bucks program allows anybody shopping at these locations to get fresh local produce for free. So for every $1 they spend on EBT eligible items, on any grocery item, they can get $1 worth of produce for free, up to $10 free per day. It's a really great opportunity, you know, to help 
bring more fresh vegetables into the community and make it, you know, more affordable, more accessible. And, you know, and with local foods, you're getting much higher quality produce, you know, than in industrially produced fruits and vegetables, you know, so it's better flavor, higher nutrient content. So there's that benefit as well. And in addition to our Fresh Food Bucks program, we also help to promote the Farmer's Market Nutrition Program. So we don't run this program ourselves. It's through the state of Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, but the Farmer's Market Nutrition Program provides a series of $6 vouchers to low-income seniors and WIC moms, and they can use that at a variety of participating farm stands, farm stores, and farmer's markets, you know, so that that's also a, an additional resource that's available in our community. And we, we like to help spread the word about that, um, especially to our seniors, so that they are able to, yeah, get access to some really delicious fresh local produce. That's fantastic that you have those programs, and I just want to give a shout out to for Kellen Foundation. We recently interviewed them on No Rain Date, and uh, I've actually been to their mobile market a couple times, and both the quality and selection are fantastic. I'm thinking of the peaches I got, which were from Shoal Orchards in Bethlehem mm-hmm. and Bechtolz in Hellertown. And not only the flavor was far superior to the supermarket peaches that I bought earlier in the season, but they lasted so much longer because I guess they weren't, you know, in big refrigerated trucks for days or weeks at a time. So I didn't have to like, you know, throw out peaches that were, you know, already turning bad the day after I got them. And it really does add to your quality of life when you you know, are able to secure produce like that much more easily. And for me, it's as easy as walking a block down the street. So I'm grateful that you're supporting them and, and that they're they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they've they're really a key part of, of the Fresh Food Bucks program. As I had mentioned earlier, you know, that looking at Lehigh Valley, we don't have tons of wholesale infrastructure for local foods. So Kellen has been a great asset to aggregate produce from a bunch of different local vendors and then be able to, you know, sell it at their mobile market. And they also are the ones who bring the local foods to the corner stores that participate in our programs, you know, and then this was a piece that was kind of missing in the Lehigh Valley's local food system previously so it's been a really great partnership i feel like maybe we should just take a moment to and explain sort of why local produce isn't available in the larger supermarkets is it just because of the cost you know that it's it's easier for these big companies to source produce from like agribusiness like you said rather than going through like local purveyors yeah that that's a great question um so yeah there's many different layers to this you know i i've definitely noticed a lot of grocery stores you know they'll they'll really promote this word local and in some cases they are definitely buying from from some local producers but i've also seen you know some trickier things where they'll say like grown for locals and then you know, the produce there was from Canada or Virginia. 
which you know is, is really interesting. I always I always like to pay attention to that how that wording is used. But you, technically, for the USDA, foods can be considered local if they're within 400 miles. Wow. You know, so for us here, I think that extends all the way down into North Carolina and all the way up to Maine. You know, and definitely having a regional food system is good. But when we think of local, I don't think we're thinking you know something you know, a couple states away. Mm -hmm. So, so it's really interesting to see. And I think one of the biggest challenges, yeah, with getting local produce into grocery stores is, is first of all, production. Um, You know, when, when we at Buy Fresh Buy Local talk about local farmers, we're talking about, you know, the small and medium sized producers with family farms, and many of them often aren't producing the volume that they even could sell to the grocery stores. And additionally, when the grocery stores are buying from local producers, the margins are are drastically cut because, you know, they're trying to make money off of this produce. So they're only paying the farmer, you know, pennies on the dollar for their hard work versus when you're shopping at a farmer's market, not only are you actually talking to and buying from the farmer that has grown your food, but they're getting 100% of your food dollar. So, so that's why one of you know the benefits of having these more direct to consumer outlets for local foods. But on the other hand, you know, a lot we all have to go to the grocery store, and we definitely recognize how comfortable we are as as a population going to the grocery store. So, you know, if we can see more local foods getting into them, that's that's a great thing. But yeah, definitely, kind of production and logistics, I think, is the main thing that holds that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that makes sense, um, and and thank you for sharing that factoid because I didn't realize that, that that's how the uh, federal government defines local. I do think that that is probably confusing, or like it could be misleading, depending on the the situation. I don't think if you went to the farmers market and asked if if it's local and they told you it was, but it was from North Carolina, you'd be you'd be too happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's the way the government has set that up. As far as tools that are available to help consumers find certain types of local produce at certain types of year, certain times of year rather, because seasonal availability is also a big part of buying fresh and buying local. What do you have available, for example, on your website? Say I want to find peaches, like right now, in the Lehigh Valley. How would I go about doing that? Yeah, so this is definitely one of one of the big things that, that we do. So on our website, which is buylocalglv.org, we have a tool called the Local Food Finder. So this has a list of all of our partners. There's over 100 partners that we work with. And you can actually filter by either like the outlet type if you're looking for a CSA farmer or farmer's markets or a, a retail farm market. You can you know look up by location type. You can also look up by product type and it'll shoot out a list of you know whatever producers match what you're looking for and all of our partners have these great profiles where you can you know learn a little bit about their farm find their websites location hours social media get an idea of 
you know, what kind of products they sell or other farmers that they partner with. So it's a really great tool for connecting with and, and finding local foods. And additionally, our social media, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, we're always kind of sharing what's in season and different places that, that you can find those items so that it's more visible and people can understand you know, what's what's available. You know, so for example, right now it's PA Produce Month because August is just an absolutely incredible time for local foods. So you can find things, yeah, like peaches and melons and plums. Of course, sweet corn is a big thing, as well as local heirloom tomatoes, which are an absolute treat and just one of my favorite things about, mm. you know, our, our local food season here. Yeah, and additionally on our website, we have tons of other resources. So there's a harvest calendar. So you can kind of, you know, if you're looking for a certain produce item, you can look at the calendar to see which months those are traditionally available. Of of course, there's fluctuation depending on how the season goes because we're dealing with with Mother Nature. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's definitely a helpful tool. And on our resources page, people can also find direct lists of like farm to table restaurants, producer only farmers markets, and then farm stores and farm stands. That's great. It sounds like a great resource. And food literacy is so important because people have sort of become disconnected from the production of food in most cases. So you've we sort of lost that communal knowledge, I guess, of, you know, what's in season, when. I know, like, I didn't realize earlier in the summer that, well, and that's partly because they're not grown locally, but cherries, like, (laughs) they were so expensive when I went to buy them, I got sticker shock. It was just because they were a few weeks, it was a few weeks too early, I guess. But it's probably the same for for other things, too. And, And that's another reason it's important to buy in season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you're buying in season, the produce, you know, is really affordable, it tastes the best. It's definitely the way to go. And and I'll mention too that, you know, here in the Lehigh Valley, there are local foods available year round, thanks to um, season extension technology and storage. So you can get things like, of course, your onions and potatoes. Apples are often available well into the spring winter squash and then greens like lettuce and spinach and of course you can find you know great things like eggs and baked goods and canned stuff so yeah there's really lots of ways to shop locally year-round mm-hmm. so that sort of leads me to another question if somebody say is growing microgreens year-round and they're doing it in in a facility that's set up to do that, that would be considered part of Buy Fresh, Buy Local? Yeah, definitely. Um, So yeah, we're really working with anyone as long as it is being grown or made with locally grown items, then you're eligible to be a Buy Fresh, Buy Local partner. So yeah, if people are using, you know, different technologies or season extension techniques, that's great by us. It means that, you know, our food is coming from right here rather than than thousands of miles away year-round. And what about organic? Because that's a big subject. And and I know (laughs) not everybody is certified organic. It's not necessarily an easy process to get that. 
do you identify organic versus non-organic on your website, for example? Yeah, on the different profiles, there is a section where it mentions, you know, the, the practices of that farmer or producer. So people can, you know, see, yeah, is it organic, non-certified organic? There's like integrated pest management for orchards, which is like responsible use of pesticides, you know, or if people are conventional growers. So you can get all that information from people's websites. Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole organic thing is definitely a huge topic. But yeah, getting certified can be really expensive and challenging. So that's why a lot of local farmers won't do it, you know, and I'll even say for you know, conventional producers, you know, they're still using their land a lot more responsibly and using a different, you know, inputs on the farm more responsibly than, you know, these huge industrial farms. So there's definitely lots of benefits to buying locally, no matter where a farmer is on the spectrum. Right, right. Well, I just, I drive around the countryside around here a lot and there are especially this time of year there are a lot of little roadside stands that you see just in people's yards and I'll see like organic you know I'm thinking I doubt that those three tomatoes they put out are you know that they're a fully certified organic operation Mm -hmm. but people sort of use that word loosely and maybe they're following or organic practices of farming where they think they are, but certified organic is, is something different. Yeah, I mean, I'll say, you know, when we're looking on, on a local scale, you know, I'm sure usually if people are saying organic, you know, it's it's more or less aligned with kind of the origins of, you know, what we view as organic, you know, but really where, where I see the difference is kind of how, you know, Essentially, the foundations of organic are based on, you know, not using chemicals and and being responsible with the land, like a more natural way of farming, you know, and and again, kind of going to agricultural lobbyists and different things that have been baked into the laws around organic, you know, it has been, I guess, more or less sort of bastardized, you know, so this organic produce, you know, that you find in the grocery store or organic, you know, processed foods, it's still definitely better than than conventionally grown industrial produce, but it has diverged from kind of those foundations of what we imagine organic to be. Right, and certainly it's one factor to consider when you're when you're buying produce because you might find organic broccoli in the supermarket, and you can buy local broccoli that's not organic. And that might taste a lot better, even though it's not certified organic, because it was grown locally and and they still followed more or less the principles of organic farming to grow it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I was hoping you could also touch on something that you have currently a promotion for Buy Fresh, Buy Local. It's called the Eat Right Here Buy Local game. How does that work? Yeah, so so usually every year we do some sort of activity or something that, you know, engages people in buying local food, makes it fun and rewards people for buying local foods. So this year we have launched our Eat Right Here game, you know, and this really takes 
all of the things that we've done in the past to the next level. And essentially we create this. So, you know, during 2020 uh, with the pandemic and all the supply chain issues, you know, when grocery stores were out of tons of stuff, we saw this huge influx of people coming into the local food system and buying from local farmers, which is really exciting to see. But, you know, there's these issues around seasonality and not necessarily knowing what's in season when or, you know, not necessarily being familiar with local foods and farming. So we really wanted to capture on this energy and excitement for local foods and and the deep understanding that people gain for the importance of supporting a lo- local economies, you know, really be able to jump in on that and and help educate consumers and make buying local fun and make it part of people's everyday habits. So our Eat Right Here game has a bunch of different missions that people can do to earn points. So there's things to learn about local foods. There's different kids missions so they so that they can learn too. There's missions that reward people for going out, you know, and doing the wine tasting or going to a farm to table restaurant. Hmm. One of one of our main things is having featured produce items that we release every week. So people will get points for buying those items, using those items and learning about them. So essentially what happens is people, you know, rack up points for playing different missions and they can use those points for raffle tickets towards grand prizes. So we're giving away like a free stay at the Glassburn Inn, $200 farm to table restaurant gift certificates, free CSA share, different sort of local food master kits. So we have these really awesome prizes at the end of it, which is very cool. And then also our partners have all so generously donated prizes that get given away through a drawing each week. So anybody that's playing the game in a given week is eligible to win one of those prizes and you know hopefully get introduced to new local products or a new local food outlet that they hadn't discovered before or if they're you know big local foodies it at least you know rewards them for for continually supporting the local food system so it's it's a really fun game and there's tons of different missions and challenges that people can do to engage with the local food system that's very cool and i'm gonna have to play that because i've been buying like produce and not really knowing what to do with it so maybe it'll motivate me to play the game to to figure out how to like use my leaks that i just bought um yeah that's the hope yeah and does this does this go through a certain just through august or Yes, so it goes through just a little before the end of August. It ends on the 29th. That's your final day to get points in and redeem those points for the raffle tickets towards grand prizes of your choice. And yeah, to play the game, you can go to eat-right-here.com. And that, you know, takes you to the place where you can sign up and, and check out all the missions. Cool. Well, I certainly think our listeners are going to want to do that. And I also want to sort of close out by having you explain how everybody can keep informed and stay up to date with everything that Buy Fresh, Buy Local has going on, whether it's through the website, newsletter, social media, and, and maybe even in person. 
Yeah, so I would definitely recommend following our social media channels. All of them for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are at BFBLGLV. And this is really where we're featuring whatever's going on in the season, sharing our resources, you know, and bringing out some, some fun content. So that's definitely the best place. We also have a newsletter sign up right in the top corner of our website. And that's where we'll really dig deeper into whatever we're featuring each month. So I highly recommend following that. Yeah, and if any of the listeners have, have been to the local producer-only farmers markets, they might have seen us you know, doing our, our dot surveying. We do some data collection at all the farmers markets every year. So people answer questions with a sticker and it helps us get a better idea of what's, you know, what's going on at the markets and what's bringing customers out. So, you know, we'll often be out at farmer's markets doing things like that. So, you know, we definitely hope to run into people and be able to talk more about local foods while we're there. Yeah. And obviously our listeners can get information about where the markets are held and and what times through your website. But I'll just throw out that the Saucon Valley Farmer's Market is every Sunday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's next to the Hellertown Area Library uh, on Constitution Avenue in Hellertown. So in addition to picking up all the delicious, fresh local produce, uh, next time you're there, you can learn more about Buy Fresh, Buy Local. Thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us and sharing all this wonderful information with our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You know, local foods is probably my favorite thing to talk about. So (laughs) it's been great getting to, to riff on that for a little while. Yeah, thanks so much. Absolutely. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. 